listening to the Stoic Solutions Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life inspired by the ancient tradition of Stoic philosophy from Greece and Rome. I'm your host, Justin Vakula. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com. This is episode 108, update on Jordan Peterson with guest Kai Whiting. I spoke with Kai Whiting about Jordan Peterson's recent comments on marriage, namely that marriage is one's best bet at happiness and that people who choose not to get married or have children are immature and deluded. We explain that a single life can be preferable to marriage, and that one particular life path, specifically marriage, is not appropriate for everyone. Kai is a lecturer and researcher in Stoicism and Sustainability at UC Levain in Belgium. He recently published the book, Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In, and has been active in Stoic communities, offering Stoic mentoring with the Walled Garden Philosophical Society. Kai's spoken at numerous events, including Stoicon, and has authored several academic papers focused on Stoicism. Enjoy today's episode with Kai Whiting. All right, I'm here today with Kai Whiting. We both recently appeared in the new book, Stoicism Today, Selected Writings, Volume 4, discussing our thoughts about Jordan Peterson. So we're here today to talk about that a little bit more. Thanks, Justine, for having me. And it's fantastic, isn't it, that we you know, we are both there and it kind of connects us, like for as long as that book is published, we have a link together. That's quite nice. And I know we've met in person. <laughs> oh, so yes, yes. Nice. Yeah. Athens, Greece. Um, yeah. So I think it's just great that we can, you know, in say a hundred years time, they can they know that we had a discussion about John Pearson and Sturston. So I'm quite excited about the fact that yeah, that you're in that book. Obviously Massimo as well. And Massimo Pelugi also had his own comments. But yeah, I'm really I've been looking forward to this talk. I think we've been saying it for about well since we wrote that piece, right? Uh, that we would um, we would get onto discussion. But I think this is the right time considering the developments in JP's uh, announcements. Let's say on relationship and marriage is one of the things that we want to touch upon, possibly not the only thing, but I think you've made some good points to me. I'm looking forward to discussing them now with you and your audience. So thank you very much for having me. Yes. And we wrote our pieces a few years ago. So a lot has happened since COVID happened. Now COVID's pretty much over here in the States and many other places. Yeah. Jordan Peterson didn't take too well in recent years. He had quite the mental decline Right. You want to talk about that for some listeners? Yeah, I think, well, he obviously had a health issue and a lot of things are going, you know, have, have been difficult for him and a lot of family challenges. And I do think that's why he has what I would call a political or ideological position on on marriage, because, you know, he clearly values his marriage. Right. He clearly values his wife. And I do think he's a really good example of once you are married. Right. Once you are married, how to um, maintain a healthy uh, intellectual relationship with your wife or husband, how to maintain the sparkle uh, and romance in your relationship. And I know in his second book, uh, he does have a whole chapter on that. And I myself, you know, being married, found that helpful. So I think there's two things that we need to distinguish. One, is John Pearson a useful example if you're already married? Yes, I believe so. And and. I think in his book and his his chats in general that comes through. Does that mean that every single piece of advice on marriage is useful? No, it's a it's a case by case scenario. Take what's useful and leave what's not. And I think I've said before, it's not necessarily that I like the way John Peterson thinks. I like the way he makes me think. Right, as a stoic, it's in my control what I think and my attitude and my actions. And what he thinks is beyond my control. So I'm pretty much indifferent to the elements of that. Uh, the other thing that we're going to discuss is should everyone get married so he's very pro-marriage and he's very pro his wife and that's fantastic I do actually like the fact he's been married for 33 years and he's talking about these values but I think he may well have overstepped the mark in some of his comments recently that every single human adult human being sorry let me caveat that every single adult human being should get married and that's what we're going to discuss today about you know what that what is that linked to what are the options what is he referring to how does that link to fertility for men and women, which is slightly, or it is different for biological reasons and sociological reasons. And what do the Stoics say about uh, marriage, if anything? And where would they caveat some of his um, his um, assertions? And we're going to look at the uh, circles of concern about that. So I'm really looking forward to having a deep dive into, into some of these theories. Yes, I mentioned in previous episodes that marriage might not be for everyone. And I think it's a good strength of stoicism that stoic writers don't prescribe or prescribe one path saying, okay, this is the way to live life, you should be 
this, you should have this vocation. It's, it's pretty open-ended that we can apply virtue in many areas of life. We can take on different vocations or professions and still find meaning and flourish. And directly, I think Epictetus talked about marriage and was saying in his chapter on the cynic calling that if you happen to get married, that you're trading things off, that maybe you won't be able to be that warden of humanity, you won't be able to be so focused on the world at large if your priorities are more focused at home and maybe for some children that you have. So even Epictetus was saying, hey, it might not be for everyone. Know what you're getting into before you get into it. I mean, absolutely, Justin. With the circles of concern, it's clear that not every relationship is as, as important as every other one, right? So the Stoics say that we should treat everyone fairly, right? But treating, let's say, my wife or my husband fairly is not the same as treating my friend fairly, right? Because I can't treat you exactly the same because that would treat my wife like my friend and my friend like my wife, which would be very unusual. And so there is clear, for example, if I do have children and I happen to be the biological father of those children, I'm the only person on this planet that can fulfill that role. There is nobody else to do it. Um, other people could possibly teach stoicism, other people could write about environment or issues, sustainability and stoicism or free speech and stoicism or Jordan Peterson's stoicism, but no one else can be the, the biological father of those children, let's say, right? So there is, once you take on that role, and that's a role you can select, the only role, you know, there is a role you don't select, i.e. being a rational human being, then it is reasonable to know before you enter that you are going to be tied to those children in a way that no other man on this planet or woman, because the biological mother cannot be the biological father, are to those children. So we must be very careful about what kind of roles and responsibilities, obligations we take on, right? So I gave an example of if you had a four by four and it was a fossil fueled um, run vehicle, it is true that you are going to contribute to carbon emissions. But if you don't take your kid to school, it is just true if there's no alternative because you live in a rural area, that your kid will not have an education. And you're the person, you and the mother, uh, biological or otherwise, responsible for that child's education. So the students are very clear that in the circles of concern, not every relationship is equally as important. And it just couldn't be reasonably. It can't. You can't know a stranger's kid the same way you know your kid. And it's not appropriate for you to treat a stranger's kid the same way you treat yours for obvious reasons. So to say that marriage is for everybody is to misunderstand the Stoics, for example, it would be misunderstanding that preferences are important, that your role is important. And we could think of somebody who's decided to be, let's say, a Catholic priest. And when they took that agreement, they've agreed not to have uh, biological children whilst they're in that role. They could leave, frankly. I'm not saying it's forever. But when they took that role on, there was understanding and obligation that went with that. And one of them is to not bring children into this world, right? So I think that to say that everybody... Uh, automatically should want to have children or even if they want to have them have them that's a different argument to if you're in a marriage the most important person outside of your children right is your wife and that's a very different argument to have isn't it yes and some critics some i was chatting with for previous episodes were talking about well jordan was born in a different era he was born in a small town and maybe the chances of him getting married finding a great partner were a lot higher back then whereas today the laws have changed society has changed and many people are struggling with finding the partner finding a good society to raise children in, get married all, all these other reasons and some people and even peterson has recognized this himself some people have thought about the legal ramifications of marriage with no-fault divorce the possibility of ending up in the family court losing custody of children some people are thinking the risks of getting married are just far too strong and they don't want to do it. You add some things maybe like financial entanglement as well, where people don't want to have more government in their life. Should the marriage dissolve, things not work out? Well, it's not just walking away like one would do from a traditional relationship. It's, it's much stronger than that. So there are many reasons that people aren't wanting to get married, men and also women, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find it ironic as well. I don't know if you saw Ben Shapiro's tech, uh, tweet recently. He was saying that he didn't agree with homosexual people getting married because it was having an impact on sort of fertility in the US. And I was thinking if gay men can't get married, that doesn't mean they have intimate relations with women. <laughs> that doesn't mean that. So I think also like, if we just step out of the heterosexual um, idea of, of mar institutionalized marriage, two men could get married. And the only thing that they can do to have children is to involve themselves either in adoption, which is not having your own biological children 
which they may not be feel comfortable with because they may say, why should I, t I mean, I've heard gay men say it, why should I be responsible automatically to, to support a child that two heterosexual people brought into the world? Why aren't straight couples also told, well, what, before you have children, why don't you adopt? Why is it only, you know, a gay thing to do? The other thing is that it would encompass some kind of surrogacy, either from a known person, i.e. a sister, even a mother, I've seen examples of, or someone you don't know for the exchange of um, either food and um, health is an altruistic in Canada, some parts of Australia, uh, the UK, or uh, in terms of finances like California, where you can charge something at the moment about $60,000 to be a surrogate mother. I mean, would um, John Peterson suggest that gay men get married and then go and have their own children, one each, let's say, find two different women who are surrogates? and do that. So it's kind of strange to say everyone should get married and that that marriage would automatically um, lead to having one's biological children within the gay scenario that wouldn't. And then denying gay men marriage in certain countries like uh, Portugal, it has legal ramifications and financial. So in an Anglo-Saxon sort of um, world in the UK and the US, you can leave your money to whomever you want within reason, right? There are some stipulations in certain states and you can, you can leave your money to whoever you want. You don't even have to leave it to your own children. In Portugal, um, if you're not married, you must legally leave a large percent of your money to your parents unless you have children. So there were cases where, you know, gay couples were together, but because they weren't married and it wasn't recognized at the time, they would then, uh, one of them would die and the other one would have to give basically all that, all that money from their partner would go to the parents and the parents would say, now you have to sell the house, right? There were examples where the individual didn't even own the house it was just their partner's house and they would lose their own home so there are ramifications in part of the world that americans and brits don't typically understand i only know that because i've lived in uh, different countries where being not married actually puts you at a worse situation in the u.s it's a little bit different if you've got a student loan and you finding it difficult to pay and someone's being married isn't helpful in fact someone's being married isn't helpful in terms of your health care so there's a whole lot of scenarios that the one needs to consider, right? Because I, when I've spoken to Christians who are anti-gay marriage, when I explain to them that uh, marriage, even in the legal sense, not the religious sense, um, that in Portugal, they would be condemning men and women to losing their own house. There was a, well, that's not reasonable. <laughs> that's, the, that's the law in those countries in like Western Europe and France as well. So I think that to say that marriage means the same thing financially, we're just looking financially and sociologically, across the entire of Europe or the entire of uh, the Americas, for example, I mean, that, that's to misunderstand realities. I think also you have to look at the caveat there and say, well, what does marriage bring? So in some cases, it does bring economic security. And, and you quite rightly say, in certain cases, it actually brings instability. And in terms of breakdown, a lot of the time, it is not always. It is uh, the, the male uh, part of a heterosexual relationship, which who is more likely to lose custody of the children to the point that they may not even see those children again. And then they have to weigh up, like, is it the fact that I want to get married and have children if they think that there's a possibility that they may never, ever be able to see those children should things go wrong. Right. So some people are stepping away for rational reasons. It's not just, oh, he hates women. Oh, he's an incel. Like a lot of this uh, shaming language and attacks that you see online. People are deliberate. People are thinking about it. They're thinking about what they're getting into. But what, what does Jordan Peterson have to say here? I have some direct quotes here. He's calling marriage, quote, your best chance at happiness, which I found really surprising because he usually isn't talking about happiness as some kind of like joy and pleasure. And uh, Absolutely. I mean, and it's been said uh, by others. And, you know, I don't know if Apostle Paul was particularly unhappy about not being married, for example. Um I mean, I think for some people it is. You know, I can talk about my own case that it makes my life easier, and I do feel happier, you know, in, in that environment. But to say that every single human being would therefore feel like I feel is to me overstepped the mark, right? Who am I to judge somebody's decision based on based on that? And other people may, you know, they may say, "Well, I want to serve." Let's say they want to serve in the army, and being married is for them it feels inappropriate because. They feel that they attach themselves in a way that they don't want to. So I think it's to do with, again, preferences and uh, financial situations. And my argument is the reason why marriage isn't, isn't in increasing is because house prices are so high. If you want people to have more children, then the house prices have to come down because most people, not all, 
uh, but most that I've spoken to prefer to have children once they have a stable home, right? So I think it's very challenging for someone to turn around and say, oh, it's because of like the gay, of, of gay people, or it's because people are being frivolous, particularly men are being frivolous in their choice not to marry. But if you're living in the basement of your parents' house, how comfortable do you feel getting married, even if you may want to? How comfortable do you feel having intimate um, moments with that person? And how good do you feel the fact that you're still reliant on a, on a, on a large extent? To your, you know, for your parent, to your parents, because without that, I don't see that many men would want to get married under those conditions, and therefore they're kind of saying, "Well, I have potentially got, you know, sexual needs that I need to to solve, but I can't bring a, you know, a partner into that situation because if if you're a heterosexual man and you, you know, have sex and something unusual happens, let's say, to what you expected, then you end up having a person in your life who's pregnant and you're like I don't even have a double bed I don't even have you know a garage with a car in it I'm my car's parked outside it's with my parents I, how can I bring a child into the world yeah if you even have a car so with marriage comes expectations right and uh, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine and she said oh well you know men get on very well and they become really good friends even on the mo on a much more superficial basis well of course because you're not having when you have a best friend who's male you're not thinking about your life together you're not having a vision together about what that means. And I think if you are living with your parents or your grandparents or your siblings, or you're living in a in a, a flat share or a house share with five people, how likely is it that you can get married? I mean, in the UK, for example, it's very difficult to get a room, a rented room as a married couple. It's almost impossible. because I've done that research as well today, what we're going to talk about. It's almost impossible for a married couple, or let's just say a couple, to get a room to rent. So they've got a situation where two people come together, they're trying to save up for a house, they're trying to, because they can't afford, they don't want to pay for an entire house because they want to save on the rent, they try to get into a, you know, just a five bedroom house with four other rooms that are not related to them. And they can't because of, because of restrictions. So I think that, again, it, it's funny, actually, it's like a luxury belief on some ways. Rock Henderson. It's a luxury to believe, to think that marriage is accessible to everybody and that everyone would desire it. And it, it has been shown that if you have um, money, for example, if you're a football player, an American football player or not what you'd call a soccer player in the US, you're more likely to marry young, right? I mean, you look at sports stars, they marry young. Why? Part of the reason I would suggest is because they have the resources to do so to create a nest, so to speak, and to have children, right? If, if you're find, trying to find money, you're doing shift work, you're doing, let's say, you're doing social care work, heavy, heavy, hard labor, how, you know, you come back home, do you have the bandwidth? Do you have the mental resources to then offer to a person in your life? I mean, maybe you say, I think I've just, if I have sexual needs, I think I've just helped myself because it's five or 10 minutes, it's not a conversation it's not a music CD or maybe it's a bit old now CD, not the radio. It's not all these all these other things that have to come into place. And I can't give that to a person. And, I, and I, I'm really surprised that people haven't sort of picked, people who are pro-marriage and pro-children um, haven't picked up on the fact or don't reflect so strongly on the fact that it is an econo for economic reasons that a lot of people don't feel that they can access that. Does that make yeah. sense, Justin? Yeah, that's a really good point. It's unrealistic to think, okay, men in their, say, late teens, early 20s are going to have the same access and resources. And especially when you're considering a lot of the, let's say, superficial preferences of some women, you know, is the short guy who doesn't have as much money, who doesn't have as many skills and resources going to have the same appeal as the guy who has more money as you're referring to so maybe it's going to be a lot harder for that like say five foot tall guy to find a partner in his early 20s compared to you know the big looks guys out there so yeah it's, it's unrealistic to say that okay this is this is going to be something that you can achieve and as peterson would say in a lot of his own work you start with yourself build yourself up so maybe that guy in his early 20s is going to be ready for that maybe it's going to take him years to even get to a point where he has decent resources a good job rather than just a minimum wage kind of job that's not really getting him far ahead so yeah not not as realistic and to return return on that 
idea of your best chance at happiness. Uh, reading through the Stoic texts, I don't recall reading like, okay, your best chance at happiness is getting married and putting your happiness in the hands of someone else and looking for that external, the external uh, validation, right? Uh, the best chance at happiness, I'm thinking through the Stoic texts, is working on yourself, having that rational mindset, having good ideas about the world and finding contentment regardless of other people. Sure, those other people preferred indifference, as the Stoics might say, might help us, but certainly not our best chance at happiness. I mean, a preferred indifference is what I keep saying to people is uh, money, for example, is typically a preferred indifference, but can be dispreferred, right? Because the fact that it's preferred, if it was always preferred, it would be a virtue. So if you use money to like take uh, drink a lot of alcohol to the point that you pass out money at that point would be a dispreferred because of the way you used it if you marry the wrong person and your life becomes a quote-unquote a living hell right yeah. then that's a dispreferred right you'd prefer not to be married right marriage is not always preferred or preferable uh, because it depends on who you marry. I mean it's interesting that you say for example about the superficial I don't know if women are superficial in ha uh, picking a short man I say this as a short man myself it's because there's a biological sort of, I guess, uh, attachment there. And if there is a evolutionary reason to pick taller men, then they would want their, their own male offspring. Oh, I'm saying like re relating to looks is how I'm using it rather than like a personality or other other aspects. You know, like men might say like, oh, I really like women with um, red hair. That could be superficial, right? Well, it's biological. I would say it's biological and probably not well considered, right? So superficial in the sense that somebody's not really given a lot of thought to it. And I would say like, you know, in modern in the modern period, right? How important is it that a person is five foot? eight nine plus six foot right how important and that is something that i've been researching on on apps uh, i was doing it before we we spoke but basically again it's like the 20 20 80 rule like 20 percent of the men get you know 80 percent of the resources and that's part of the problem and the way that they sort of go through the serial dating uh i would say is probably what john peterson says when it's immature so if you basically were a serial date and you're just using other individuals then there is not a lot of maturity in it right but as we were talking about before we came on and recorded it's not a it's not a dichotomy it's not like you have two choices you get married and have children or you play the field for 20 years <laughs> right right thing to yeah do. yeah I'll, I'll catch listeners up he he said he uh this this is from the daily wire about jordan peterson's new series on marriage it says here, in the first part of the series titled The Promise, Peterson covers why monogamous marriages are rationally, intellectually, and spiritually better than the short-term hedonistic pleasure of the single life, which produces nothing but chaotic disaster, anxiety, <laughs> misery, and it goes on. So yes, you're saying it's not that those aren't the only two options. There, there are a lot of other options in the middle there. Yeah, I mean, a single life, I would say even that someone's going on uh, apps, right? It doesn't have to be apps, but it's just easier to explain it this way. They're not living the single life. A single life is a person who is, you know, investing in themselves and their family, right? It does Because people think single life means selfish. No, it means I'm investing predominantly in myself as opposed to myself and a couple of other people directly. I'm also investing in my nieces and nephews. I can have a single life doing that, right? Yeah. I don't think the serial player is doing that they're investing in in heat they are investing in hedonistic pleasures like the ability to have a uh, cheap quote cheap and easier uh, relations with men or women right it's not just men seeking women or you know men seeking men so I, I think that the single life doesn't represent that serial person because by definition they're not living the single life they're living in serial relationships they're not necessarily investing in their personal development what they're investing in is that high that they chase of that, of the romantic chase, right? Or the number game, right? I don't think a single single life is that. Yeah, I would agree with Peterson that in many cases, the pickup artists, these, these guys who are saying like, I'll teach you how to hook up with like a thousand women and this and that, and they're like so invested in it. And they're in some cases even charging guys like a thousand dollars an hour to speak with them. And I'm not a fan of this because I think they're exploiting these younger men who don't have social skills, who don't have experience, and they don't really have the money, but they see these gurus online. I'm not a fan of these pickup artists or pickup coaches for the most part that some call pickup roaches. Uh, <laughs> I, I could 
maybe with Peterson on that, but yeah, the single life can be people who just aren't looking for relationships. So people who just maybe have like good friends or just aren't that interested. They're just focusing on other things. So it's not this hedonistic thing of, you know, you'll hear this sometimes, well, if, oh, if you don't want to give to society, if you don't want to be altruistic, then you're selfish and, you know, you need to join the military and get married and like do all these other things, right? Like, oh, if you if you don't fight for your country, then you can't talk about it. You're selfish. You don't want to join the military. Like that's, that's all it seems to Peterson, like coming out here, like, oh, you're immature, you're deluded, you know, it's all this shaming language because you don't want to do what he wants you to do. Like, let's hear like the better arguments rather than the shaming language. Yeah, I think so. I think there is a point that if he came out and said about the, the serial pickup artist, right, I would say that is deluded. I think it is deluded. And I, and I think it is shameful. It should be shamed. And I am very uh, supportive of Pearson's view that shame, ha shame has just disappeared off our map, right? The Stoics don't have a guilt culture. We do. They have a shame culture. They, they distinguish between moral shame and the general shame. General shame being... Imagining that I was um, looking at porn, let's say, and I f and then you catch me and I feel bad because you caught me. That's a general shame, right? That's a shame triggered because of external factors. And that doesn't that doesn't actually change my behavior in a way that is linked to my character. That just means I get maybe I make sure that I, I do that when you're not in. But the sense of moral shame, which is the truer sense of shame for sex, is the sense that I shouldn't be doing that necessarily if I'm already, you know, let's say I'm married. And I've invested in that person. And I was going to have intimate relationships with relation with my marital spouse, but chose not to because actually it's just easier to go online. Right. Then I'm sort of not living up to the role that I've actually set. So I, I think that there's nothing wrong. I don't see shaming certain behaviors, but I think he just he overstepped the mark because he's kind of suggested that, as we said, that the only uh, single man, it was very the language was very sort of targeted towards uh, men. The, the only thing that is that it's possible is either marriage or running up and down, getting 52 women a year, let's say. And that's just not that's just not the case for the majority of people that I've met who are single. They tend to be and single as in long term single. Um, some of them are definitely not by choice. You know, I particularly women, I would say, but men tend to be academics, right? And they are very very invested in like things like mountaineering which are very solo kind of sports. So if you're an academic and you're really invested in knowledge and bringing that to people, right, you are being, you are bringing something to the humanity. In terms of altruism, the Stoics are, they don't have selfish or altruism in their own framing because it's either appropriate or it's not appropriate, right? So if people are, for example, if I had a massive headache and I told you five minutes before and I couldn't tell you before, I can't do this today, Justin, I can't do this recording, it wouldn't necessarily me being selfish. In fact, it might be selfish of me to think that I can get away with it anyway and give your audience a substandard interview. That would be being selfish because I'm looking at my ego, right? I'm not actually considering your audience. So in terms of altruism, there's no such thing because if it's the appropriate thing to do, then it's not altruistic. <laughs> you should just do it. So it's very strange. And I know what you're saying when people say, oh, well, you should, you should do things to contribute to society. And one of the things that you can do is have children. Well, perhaps, potentially, but... Perhaps not. I mean, there is that argument, uh, particularly in my environmental and sustainability field, that we have 8 billion people on the planet and that we shouldn't have children. And I think that uh, that places the burden unfairly on women, right? Particularly in the developing world where contraception in rural areas is not readily available. And I do think that has you know, can lead to shaming again because I don't think that what's the alternative? Basically, people will, or women will get pregnant, right? What are they supposed to do? Abort these children? Like, are we supposed to make that up? You know, are we supposed to be like China? Having lived in China, that didn't work very well in terms of a lot of people had a lot of a lot of women, particularly, had a sense of shame because they were only really supposed to have one kid, right? In fact, I've met, even though you can subsequently have more children now, uh, lots of women say, "Well, why would I have more than one?" That would be that I don't have a sense of self-control. I mean, I've heard women say that. And I, I found that women found it very difficult to explore uh, relationships because they'd say, well, I can't. I just have to pick the man I'm going to marry because if I accidentally have a child with this other individual, that's my allotted one kid. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm not I think that we should not be pro or anti in, in terms of collective um, statement for the species. I mean, the strikes didn't prescribe anything. Right. There's no. There's no particular way to always eat or always dress, as I've written articles about that. 
or always get mad. It depends on the context, right? So if you gave me an example where, let's say, you, and this is what Epitaphs did, you an older gentleman, you said to me, I want to help this lady financially. The only way that I can do that uh, because of <laughs> because I'm living in Portugal, right, is to uh, to help uh, to help her like get married, you know, get married to her so that we don't have the issue that we're together and she loses her house, right? I want to I help her, but I never wanted children, so I decided to marry later in life. And that, you know, and if, given, if your reasons are reasonable and they make sense, right, then what's wrong with that? I, I just don't like telling people. I, I mean, I, the funny thing is John Peterson's very pro-free speech, so I find it very strange that someone would be very pro-free free speech and then a anti-choice in terms of who gets married or not. It's really yes, strange yes. to me, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's odd. I think I'm moving on to another quote here from the Daily Wire. It says, Jordan explains that what you're sacrificing by getting marriage are the things that should already have fallen by the wayside with the advent of maturity and that the gains far outweigh the so-called loss of freedoms. What, like your academic freedom? <laughs> like it goes back to well, what is having an academic pursuit in your life? I mean, I'm saying it's an academic. I mean, there's many other points you could pick, but let's pick that one. So if I wanted to dedicate my life to academia, is that an immature decision? I think he's just, I think he just needed a caveat. With, I agree with him that if you think that being tied down to one woman as opposed to having a different woman every week is a terrible thing, then you know, I agree with John Pearson. I think whatever lies you, whatever you've believed in, the idea of being this sort of very sexualized individual is something positive. Even for women, and the people have said, "Well, you, should, you know, you should be allowed to do this." We've got condescension. I think that that's very troubling. But to assume that 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 is majority of people's cases, when he knows statistically, statistically he's talked about this, and with Rob Henderson as well, that again, only twenty percent of men on dating apps have this possibility. So this statement that he's making, he knows for a fact, I've heard him, listen to, I've heard him say it, that 80% of men on apps are not getting anybody. So the marriage isn't even an option because if you're not even with anybody, how are you going to ask somebody? You can't just walk up to someone in the middle of the street and ask them, can you? So I don't know who he's really addressing that statement to when he knows that part of the problem is that dating apps, um, because of their emphasis on the here and now and looks, right, because that you don't... If you're in a bar, you might have four men you could speak to if you're a woman and you find some of them, one of them is not particularly good looking, but he made you laugh and he made you feel good. I mean, you can't, can't really do that on an app, can you? It's not very easy to show someone that, although you're balding, in my, in my case, for example, pretty bald, as you know, that doesn't mean that I have no charisma whatsoever. But if I'm only, if you're just basing your uh, swiping on what I look like, then that makes it very difficult for me, right? So I don't kind of get that he, he does understand that this is an issue, and yet does a whole um, statement <laughs> saying that men, you're immature if you do this. But are you, but you, by his own um, admission, having read the research, like his own research, eighty percent of men don't have access to whatever he's talking about anyway. And I do say, I know he says, like, okay, you need to work on yourself. Yes, you do. You do need to work on yourself. But let's be honest, like, even if you do that, you still got to get over the app barrier. <laughs> yeah. What What about all these celebrities who are? You know, some would call them high status who end up getting divorced anyway. And they say that they were in unhappy marriages and they've they've lost money out of this whole deal. So you know, some people are worrying like, OK, if Tom, someone like Tom Brady can't remain married and his wife is unhappy, then what chance do I have as this like so-called average guy? So some people are like really thinking about this and saying, OK, well, what what freedom would I lose if I got married? Like what what could possibly happen then? Or especially if it didn't work out and divorce happened. So some people are saying, hey, it just seems like uh, too high of a price for me. Like, look, the PlayStation 6 comes out and they want $1,500. Oh, the price is too high. I don't want to pay that price. So some people are seeing um, marriage as being an analogous thing, that it could be a very risky, costly thing. So they just, they're just they just stepping away. And yeah, let's focus on other pursuits rather than having this um, idealized relationship that, that Jordan Peterson has. He's called it in other spaces, the perfect date that repeats endlessly, which seems to be so unrealistic. Marriage isn't easy. It's really difficult. Marriage takes work and effort and forget, you know, purposeful forgetfulness and swallowing of pride and remembering that the person you're screaming at is on your team. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully none of that would happen, right? There'd be better communication than that. Oh, no. Right. But I mean, it, I mean, there's two human beings living in a space and all their hopes and dreams are tied together, right? Economically and otherwise, and especially if there are children involved. And I would much rather that 
Pearson focused on if you're married, here's the course to you and here's how you maintain the marriage. Because I actually think he has really good advice on that. Again, not every piece of advice is applicable to every case. My my issue is when you you encourage young men and women who haven't given too much thought about what they actually want to get married and to see that as an ideal. Because I think marriage is an ideal when you've worked on yourself and you know what you want and you know what you want in a partner. And, and you can clearly state that in the early ages, early stages of dating, right? A lot of people don't state those things until really late on. And, you know, I've always said that that's a mistake. But it takes reflection and maturity, as you've rightly pointed out, Justin, to work out what it is you want. So, like, if you don't want children, you need to be able to say that. And I don't think you're deluded for not wanting to have children, particularly if you, you know, if you're a woman, like you've got this health issues, you may and you may give birth. And you may never be um, able to go to the toilet in the way you did before again. And the hormones will be such that um, you won't remember the pain of that and you may get the desire to have more children. There was a good tweet on this. They said uh, being kicked in the, in the nuts is more painful than, than uh, giving birth. And someone said, what do you mean by that? They said, well, no one asked to be kicked in the nuts twice. <laughs> Whereas women, women asked. You know, can I have enough child? And that is a biological reason. Like the body does say yes, and it's it's perfectly, you know, understandable. I you know I know I don't remember that pain. I remember you know the pain, but I don't remember the degree of pain, and I and I want to go again. But some women just don't want to. They they just might not feel particularly motherly. They may not want to uh, breast. You know, have nine months of nine months of um, carrying a child followed by childbirth, followed by breastfeeding, followed by 18 years or something. They might say, I've got nieces and nephews. My sister or brother can't afford to treat them. And I do know people in that situation. I take those kids out. I give my sister or brother a break. And, I, and again, I mean, in a tribal setting, like historically, or in a village setting, not everybody necessarily did have children. Like the fact that he you know, makes a claim that, oh, our, our ancestors, you know, all your ancestors before you had children. Well, your direct ones did, but your uncle, great uncle might not have done. It's not true that all your ancestors did. And it doesn't make sense that they all did. Um, it makes sense in a tribal setting that you, in fact, there are tribal settings that nobody really, call, nobody really calls their, par- uh, the, their biological parents mum and dad as such, because they see themselves being raised as part of, the, part of the village. And in a tribal setting such as that, it's not always known who the father is, right? Because people say, well, whoever the kid looks like, but in a tribal setting, they look quite similar, right? If you think historically, the mixing of these kind of tribes. I mean, everyone looked relatively similar. So it wasn't necessarily clear who the father was. And that was not necessarily important because all the resources were pulled together in a way that in a modern society, I'm not saying it's better for worse, I'm just saying, in a modern society, that isn't the case. So in a modern society where um, particularly where resources are accumulated, because in, in a more tribal setting, they are accumulated in terms of the tribe as opposed to family, that is more important. I mean, inheritance is is key in modern um, society, right? But that's not necessarily the case in these these traditional areas. So it, it makes no sense to claim something that historically wasn't necessarily relevant, right? Because it didn't matter if it was your uncle or your cousin, everyone was related to that tribe and they brought up the kid together, right? So it's very strange to uh, use an historical argument like all your generations before you um, did it, so you should do it. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You could also say, well, generations before me um, had sex with women in a certain way, which we would say is illegal, right? And for good reason. Does that mean that I should carry on that tradition? Because I'm Yeah, I mean, sure. and what, yeah, what marriage are we really talking about here when we had like coal miners' daughters and maybe 13, 14, like, okay, are we going to be advocating for that type of traditional marriage? For example, like, is it a historical argument? Like I imagine... Uh, Jordan Peterson wouldn't do that. So is it like cherry picking the history here? Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, like, what kind of marriage are we talking about? And if people say, for example, you know, even the gay scenario, well, that's just that's just a modern thing. Well, tell that to the tell that to the Greeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the ancient yeah, the, ba- the, ba- the bathhouses of uh, two thousand years ago or so. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and people, you know, people were saying, you know, even Stokes, you know, referring to people being good-looking boys, right? So it's it's in that culture. Do we want to bring that back? I mean, I just find that it's unhelpful. It's uh, to say to somebody some because fifty years ago we did think we should continue doing it. When in reality, the the serial packet families are nineteen fifties invention to sell you stuff. 
it just didn't happen like 150 years ago. People lived, you know, we're starting to now because of, of economic problems, like grandparents and parents and uncles and aunts all li- and children all living under the same roof, right? So if you live in, say, if you're living in those conditions and you have a, sib- uh, you have a sibling who has kids, why would you need your own children anyway? Because what you're doing is you're ensuring that those children that you already have are going to survive. If you add to that collection of children, you're actually reducing the amount of resources that are available for those, let's say, two children to, to prosper financially and to flourish in a non-stoic sense, right? So I, I find that very strange. And of course, if you're, if you're wealthy, you don't have that issue. But I mean, how many people are in that situation? The inflation's rocketing and house prices are, are, are climbing and student loans are horrendous, particularly in the US. I, I mean, I feel sorry for anybody who's struggling who really wants to go out, you know, who really wants to go out and find a, a life partner, barely afford the app, is then told, oh, you know, you're the man and, you, you know, you know, you should invest. And I think your man should because, I mean, biologically speaking, this is Deborah Sow's argument, uh, the Canadian academic, like for one sperm to be produced relative to one egg, the energy requirement is a lot higher and the investment a woman has to make to ensure that that child is born is a lot higher biologically right so it makes sense to me that men do offer like your first drink or the first dinner right it does it does make sense biologically for a man to do that but not every man is in that is right now in that um has that luxury of being able to do that <laughs> or some woman would be mad about like oh let's just go to the coffee shop and like oh he's so cheap or you know it's like it, it, it's not as easy as uh he's making out to be as we said with this whole dating app scene or meeting people it's like good, good luck finding that partner, like that one perfect partner that's going to be the, the, the best chance at happiness marriage, you know. And yeah, what, what about people with different callings? Imagine there's, say, a mid-20s guy who went to undergrad. He got a elementary school teaching certificate or degree, and he seems to connect really well with like fourth graders, fifth graders, and there's a severe lack of male teachers in elementary school. And maybe he thinks, well, hey... What if I can just benefit a generation of kids or in this local community anyway? And I connect really well with the boys in elementary school. So maybe instead of getting married and having a child and focusing on that, maybe I just want to be a good math teacher and connect with the boys that haven't had the male role models at an early age. Like, is that diluted and immature? <laughs> Ironically, it could have been diluted and immature for the reason why those, those young individuals we're talking about in this hypothetical situation don't have a good role model right because they the father uh, didn't understand what john peterson was actually saying and thought oh i should just get married then <laughs> not thinking about okay what does that marriage actually actually mean what does it entail and like emotionally i mean it is i get very frustrated when people who are married and have children say oh you've got nothing better to do like i'm looking after kids what else would you be doing i don't know a lot of things i'm not sitting on my bum working and go, you know looking at the ceiling because i have no children i'm out there you know i'm, I'm investing in friendships you know at the same time, people are lonelier than ever, and having children uh, takes you away from your friends, right? I mean, I mean, it's not only oh, well, you choose that. Well, not necessarily. If you're changing nappies and you're putting a bottle in a baby's mouth, I mean, how available are you to take your friend down to the, you know, let's say to the football match and talk to him about his pro- his struggles? How how able are you to do that? How appropriate is it for you to spend a three hours on a on any given Sunday to do that? And then your friend struggles and he's got no one because all his other friends are married and they're all doing the same thing. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just, it's, it's unfair. Again, the Stoics are very clear that we should treat people fairly, but it doesn't mean the same, right? So I would always look at the Stoics would always say, what's your context? Where are you? What are you doing? What is, why are you doing it? And the the Stoics are very clear as well on public versus private life, right? And uh, idiot, the word idiot coming from someone who's just too focused on their own private life. And not interested in, in investing publicly. So in the case that you've given of the of the teacher, he's thinking of a more public calling, and his private calling may be either on hold indefinitely or just he's waiting until he meets, you know, that teacher that he's going to meet in the next two or three years. And man, yeah, it just seems strange, right? Because also in the Christian tradition, outside of the monastic calling, surely you're that God calls you to be with a certain person, right? In the Christian tradition, I'm saying it's our tradition, but so you, what happens if you're not called, that person's not called into your life until you're 37? <laughs> what are you supposed to be married someone at 23 just because you feel that that's appropriate, even though it's clear to you that God's calling you to marry somebody else, but it's just, they just haven't arrived in your life yet. So I find that very strange as a religious argument thinking, but that doesn't mean you should get married young. 
Yeah, and there's a, <laughs> a, mind, a mindfulness that the Stoics call us to consider before we take action. So maybe people would feel like, oh, well, there are these societal pressures that want me to do X, Y, and Z, or the biological clock, or whatever it is. And maybe these like natural urges or societal messages aren't really great for us, or maybe they're really not good at all, as Shirley Seneca and many of the other ancient writers talk about the the madness of crowds, the danger of crowds, and that just yes. because the popular people think it's right, then that's not necessarily the thing that we should be doing. Mm. So you see all these messages like, oh, buy this $3,000 engagement ring and she'll be happy <laughs> for life. Like, no, oh, ma- well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe maybe that's not going to be your like Disney princess and, you know, you're going to be this Prince Charming guy and everything's going to go well because you said and did the right things. You know, it, it's just it's just not going to happen all the time. And, and we could see that even closer to home with Jordan as his daughter, Michaela, has been divorced, remarried, had a kid. So her, you know, you get like Jordan is this big advocate of marriage. And surely he'd be able to like relay these messages to her in some way because they're pretty close, I would think. But Michaela Peterson, Jordan's daughter, got divorced. I mean, marriage is like anything else is what you make it, right? And it takes two to make it work. Uh, and I would say that's true, you know, for example, for us to write those articles to get, you know, we wrote them separately, but we had to discuss this together and we have done that in the past. And, and I think it, we, it made it work because I wasn't trying to grind an axe and all were you, right? And so, we, you know, you make it work. Whatever you invest in, you have to make it work. And marriage is just one of those additional things, right? I would say that people say to me, why should, if you're in a long-term relationship, why would you advocate marriage other than the financial reasons that we've discussed? And I've said, well, that's the biggest thing you can give somebody. You can't give somebody more than yourself. <laughs> in marriage, that's what you what you agree to and I've asked people and they say they do feel different once they got married right because for them it was it and they knew that they were invested in that person but that's a mindset right and if we all went into if everybody who got married went into that with that mindset it would be very different so I think what Jordan should be talking about is a marriage mindset right thinking about beyond oneself and the strikes would do the same going beyond yourself thinking about the common good and what your marriage can do in terms of that how your marriage links into community, how one could equally have a marriage mindset, i.e. like to care, to bring those people into your circles of concern about wait for the right person. And if they never quote unquote materialize, so to speak, then you don't have to get married. So I think advocating for a marriage mindset and advocating for if you never find the right person to do that, but that's fine. Right? It's not marriage per se that's going to fix your issues, as you've rightly said. It's having a mindset where you go the thing that matters the most is my moral character uh, and marriage could marriage could make that more difficult to achieve depending on who you marry or easier to achieve right but you know in the sense of i've got more time and space to think about it but that's only if i use it again you know my my partner could give me loads of time and space to use it and i just go off and watch watch sports <laughs> so it's not that the marriage per se is going to make me a better person it's just that that if that gives me space because I don't have to cook, let's say, to then meditate on Marcus Aurelius's thoughts, right? That's still me doing it. It's still not, there's nothing, there's no way that marriage can make, marriage doesn't make you a better person per se or a worse person per se. Because even if you have a crappy wife, let's say, the Stoics would say that the universe is benevolent and the universe chose to give you that wife, right? Because that's what happened. So it's so not like magical, but it's just because it, it is what it is. And that gave you an opportunity that despite having a difficult wife, you still worked on your character and became, you know, a sage. So it doesn't follow, it doesn't follow as far as that even if you have a crappy marriage, that your character is crappy, right? Yes, our mindset has to be this most important thing, right? Even the Stokes warned us about people think, oh, I changed my environment, it's going to be better. But there's this idea of uh, wherever you go, there you are. That, <laughs> yeah, if you don't have the right mindset, you can go about globe trotting and you know, go to Romania, go to Bulgaria, you can go to all these different countries. But if you don't have the right mindset, maybe that marriage won't work out. Maybe whatever you're doing won't work out. So hopefully, uh, as Peterson would say, uh, clean your room and then get out there in the world. Uh, Maybe you could simultaneously do a little bit of getting out there in the world and cleaning your room. But uh, I guess that's a topic for for another day. But I think uh, I, I really want more of the old Jordan Peterson back, returning to his university lectures where he's talking about philosophical and psychological themes in popular culture and media and uh, reviewing the existentialists. And, you know, it's like these lectures were really, really good. And it's not like, oh, if you don't follow my path, you're deluded and immature. And you need to do X, Y and Z or you've lacked meaning in life. 
maybe it's a thing of audience capture that now, okay, he's he's affiliated with the Daily Wire and they're pushing this like religious and traditional conservative message. And that's why he's like deeper into the marriage or perhaps, you know, since he has this good relationship with his wife that he's he's really invested in this and he's thinking it can work for everyone else. I don't know exactly what's going on, but audience capture has been a theory of why he's shifted in the recent years. I mean, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that the guy's so in love with his wife that he couldn't possibly understand why anybody else would want something different, right? So, I, you know, if I give him the benefit of the doubt, I mean, that's that can still hold true and you can still say, you can still put enough caveats. I mean, to be fair, like, they'll clip it, so even if it was a, if he produced six caveats, let's say, for, for the Daily Wire, they will clip that. The problem I have then is that it's irresponsible for the Daily Wire to do that, right? So... You know, I, that's if I'm feeling generous. If I'm feeling less generous, then yes, I think sometimes, and he pointed out himself, like if you become as popular as, as a, you know, I think he actually says Adolf Hitler, then it can be quite difficult to draw your own line, right? And say, where is where where have I lost that line? And being a, an environmental engineer, I can definitely say that he talks about climate change and environmental deterioration he under, he misunderstands and misreads quite a lot so i you know that's my own field i've dedicated more than more than a decade probably a decade and a half now to this to the subject so i'm aware that sometimes he's he's gone into fields that he doesn't have such a good understanding and he hasn't then done what joe rogan seems to do better about bringing someone that has an alternative view to the one he has so i've never seen that on his podcast like i'm saying with interview me but i would have I say, well, okay, I do understand, for example, that I don't think Canada should give up oil, right, and then crude oil, because then you're going to go to Saudi Arabia, right, and there's social and environmental issues there. At the same time, it doesn't follow that Canada has no response, doesn't have to have a response whatsoever. Um, obviously, the eight billion thing that we have to take that into consideration, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have children. Maybe we have a situation where we encourage two or three children which we are doing anyway for policies that don't actually help people have kids, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To... And maybe maybe some more uh, vegetarian eating instead of Peterson's and Michaela's uh, all meat, that carnivore diet, that, that could be a thing. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I could give like, in, so, I mean, I have done before in academic papers about, about what choices we might have to make in the West, depending on our circumstances. But I think it is very dangerous. And I'm really glad that we had this conversation to assert to a whole bunch of individuals, not just men, that marriage is the be all and end all when it's the idol you should chase, right? Because it's not the case. Um, I do think a marriage mindset, as I said, is an ideal that one could have in their in their mind's eye of you know being willing to share, being considerate, understanding the human being in front of you is not against you, <laughs> always unlikely to be against you, to think about very carefully who you bring into your circles of concern, because it's just clear on this, you can't push people back out of your circles of concern. So even if your wife then gets divorced from you, she's still not a stranger, right? She's still closer to you than a stranger can ever be. There's nothing you can do about it, right? She might not be your wife anymore, but she becomes your ex-wife. She's still in a circle of concern that is basically wife. Right? Yeah, that, and that's right. going to depend on the circumstances too. Like if she makes some sort of false allegation and just you know, wants the money or something, you know, that's like, okay, I'm just going to step away from that situation. But then there could be other things where say, okay, you got married, you have these ideas, but over time, you've developed different interests, or they really haven't been as committed as they said they would be it could be for the men or the women, there could be some rational grounds for divorce, like you tried to make it work, you didn't, or the other person just became so insufferable that it's like, all right, you know, some people say this, like happy wife, happy life, but Maybe not. I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe you could just uh, get yourself out of that situation. Yeah. You shouldn't get divorced. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that what your ex-wife will never be just your friend. She's just not going to be, right? Because you've got history together. So the, the Stoics uh, are not saying one should never get divorced because once your wife is your wife, she's always your wife. No, she'd be your ex-wife, but she's never, you know, people say, you know, you're a stranger to me. Well, she's not. She's your ex-wife, right? A stranger to you is someone you never met, right? She can't be a stranger to you. Uh, but I, th I think that people should put as much effort into, you know, the early stages about what they really want. And the Stoics are clearly on this about feelings, right? People go, well, I feel, I feel in love. I feel this way. I feel happy. And they're like, well, examine that impression, right? Because in marriage, even if you at that moment hate your partner, and trust me, that happens. Like in that moment, you're like, Argh! the Stoics would say, well, hang on a minute. Examine that impression. And actually the Stoics, you can't be... Um, two things at the same time. So you can't love your wife, let's say, and be angry with her. 
because you'll be angry with her in that moment. You're like, I really hate you right now. But I remember you, my wife, and I love you. In that moment, you're then loving her. Then the next moment, wait a minute, but I'm really angry. And in that moment, you're being angry because the, the stoics are very instantaneous. Like in that moment, what are you feeling? So you can't love your wife and be angry at the same time. It's that you kind of like flip between the two. So when you have this emotion, you examine it. Like, is it reasonable to be angry with my wife because she said something that I think means that she hates me? And then I have to evaluate why do I feel that way? Why is it important that um, I I believe that she feels a certain way about me because it's, it's not in my control, right? It's, it's up to her. So why am I putting so much emphasis on what who she thinks I am and she's misunderstood me? Do I have to scream at her to get my point across? The answer is no. <laughs> I don't have to scream at her. And then you might calm down and go, I'm really sorry, whatever your wife's called. Um, because actually I lost it. I let my emotions run away from me. And when I think about it again, when I take a breath, I'm actually being unreasonable. I should not assume that you think a certain way because we're two different people. The problem is if you have this, yeah, the problem is when you're going into the dating stage, the early dating stage, I mean, <laughs> actually with my spouse, we did a PowerPoint presentation, right? <laughs> I was like, well, you have to convince me that, we should be going out and they did a PowerPoint present PowerPoint presentation about why um, not why I should go out with them, but why it would work together. Right. <laughs> the academic thing to do. So I was like, well, that's have an academic. So that works for me. But the idea was that to go beyond what, how I feel in that present moment, because there's that, that feeling will not carry you through the next 30, 45 minutes of marriage. Right. It just, uh, it won't carry you through. It, it's the a rational decision and reasonable decision, another reasonable decision every moment, right? Okay, is this now reasonable? Is it still reasonable? So you have an argument with your wife, let's say. Ten minutes ago, the reasonable thing to do was to hug her. Now the reasonable thing to do is leave her be and go outside and then go for a walk, right? So the Stoics are very clear on that. It's reason Marriages or anything, like our friendship, Justin, is, is to make a decision time and time again, to talk to each other time and time again, just chat to each other time and time again. It's a consistent chain of events. And the way that it is clipped on that um, daily wire is that it seems to be almost magical, right? And that's the danger. I'm, so I've said being generous, Peterson, I hope that that was just poorly edited. Yes, yes. And challenging those impressions are very important as people can get hung up in this idea of soulmate. Oh, I found this one person. They're perfect for me for my entire life. But then that doesn't work out. And they're just wanting to pursue this person again and again, when they're clearly not interested. They, you know, some people call it one itis, maybe that you get stuck on one person, and you can't really move past that. And yeah, it could, it could be really dangerous. So to challenge our feelings and look back and just say, Okay, well, what is this impression I have? Is this rational? How should I go forth with this? So many people, yeah, so many people can just get hung up on one person, one idea, one way to do things, rather than questioning the common wisdom. And do people even really get this information at a younger age anyway? Or how are they getting it? So it's just important to be really mindful and critical and make good decisions rather than just going with, oh, well, I'm just go, I feel this certain way. So I should do this or that. Not not necessarily a good way to be. I think there's an excellent way to end it, right? I think this sucks. I can't beat what you just said. I think you're absolutely right, Justin. I think that's a really good way to, to end our episode. All right. And once again, the book that we're both appearing in is Stoicism Today, Selected Writings, Volume 4, where we both talk about Jordan Peterson and overlaps, parallels, some disagreements. And how can listeners find you online on social media, email? So stoickai.com, uh, on Twitter, stoic, S T. O-I-C, Kai, K-A-I, dot com. Or Kai Whiting is, is, is my Twitter. Uh, the other thing is... Um, oh, go, go ahead, a spell, spelling again for listeners. Oh, uh, yeah, Kai, K-A-I, Whiting, W-H-I-T-I-N-G. Um, if you like what Justin and I were talking about, then please get a copy of Volume 4. It goes to the Bonsterism charity. If you uh, want to read more uh, that I've done outside of John Peterson. I've done a lot of work on stoicism and free speech and uh, being better. Um, so stoicism for a world worth living in, living in, which was co-authored by Leo, who also co-authored a piece with me about uh, John Peterson. And the other thing I just want to say is if you find it particularly insightful and you're interested in uh, stoic mentoring, I now have a stoic mentoring program because people emailed me and said, who is offering this? And I was like, I don't know. Why don't I? <laughs> Maybe I should offer it. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, um, reach out. You can do that through the uh, Ward Garden, thewardgarden.com. All right. Very good. Thank you for chatting today. Uh, very quickly coming up on an hour here. So good discussion. Time flies. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. See the show notes for more information and links surrounding topics discussed in this episode. Support my efforts through my Patreon page found at StoicSolutionsPodcast.com. Access special perks, including having upcoming podcast guests answer your questions, custom-made podcast episodes, and private one-on-one calls to discuss whatever you'd like. Visit my other podcast at HurdyGurdyTravel.com. That's H-U-R-D-Y-G-U-R-D-Y-Travel.com to learn how to make money, save money, and travel the world at next to no cost with credit card rewards, deals, and loyalty programs. Find me in the 2022 book, Stoicism Today, Selected Writings, Volume 4. Order a paperback or Kindle version of the book from Amazon.com. Thanks to generous fans and patrons of this podcast who help support my work. Have a great day.